Hi, this is Michael Ian Black, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with your host, Andras Jones. Welcome to Radio 8-Ball, give us a shake. We're in the studio, tempting fate. Wherever you are, putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select here with the help of our friend. Synchronicity, and now it's time for the Radio 8 Ball Show. Welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, hanging out here at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California, with our musical guests, Opium Moon. Say hi, Opium Moon. Hello, hello. Hello. And now, joining (coughs) us in the studio, a man who really needs no introduction. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, Larry Miller. Thank you. Now, you have your own podcast, but people know you from just so many... I mean, turn on anything, and he's going to show up eventually. That's... By the way, that's in the contracts. Yeah. Yeah. That just, you know what? When does he show up? Yes. But that's awfully nice of you to say. But, uh, yeah, but, but as you know, in show business, and my friends here know this, too, that the point is, what's the next one? Yeah. What's the... My favorite part I've ever had... Is, is the, the next, next one. one. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's, I'm not being flippant, and that's no kidding around. Yeah. It's the next one. Yeah. I have a couple of good movies that came out this year, but you know what? Those are out. Now. Uh, what's the next one? Well, what is the next one? How is that your business? Good setup. But there's one out now that's just a. Uh, Wonderful, called the man who killed Hitler, and then the Bigfoot. Yes, I saw that. You were yes, you were in that. So that's what I'm saying. You just keep showing. You keep showing up in weird and crazy films. It's a terrific movie. It was starring Sam Elliott. Yeah, and me. Yeah, and a great cast. But the, you didn't the, play. People that would make you think. People are going to think that you either played Hitler or the Bigfoot. You did not play. Well, I told <laughs> the writer and director Bob Kraskowski is a great guy from Deerfield, Massachusetts, and he's a young fella and. Uh, I told him he should say for every interview he does, when they say, what's the movie about? He can just say, have you seen the title? Yeah. <laughs> and that pretty much well, sums that's it what up. It's about. Yeah. And it's, it's, an, it's actually, a, it, and you'd think it's going to be a, like a, it's actually a pretty sad and soulful film. It's a surprisingly, that's right. when I watched it, the title makes me think it's going to be kind of audacious and comic booky, but it is a really. Yeah, it's a very soulful picture. And I play uh, Sam Elliott's brother, and it's, it's it was a wonderful part. I'm I'm awfully glad they gave me a call. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, thanks. Now, now oh, go can on. I just say uh, that Itai uh, here, Itai Israeli, uh, grew up in a kibbutz, and they were programmed. They were like like the Holocaust. That you know was really a a big thing <laughs> to the kibbutzim. <laughs> 
It's a big thing for the Jews. In yeah, in general, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. It's up there. But, like, but you, you tell me, you used to tell me that, that as kids we used to fantasize about ways to, right? To kill Hitler? Am I, am I volunteering? Am I doing that thing you don't like me to do? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man of peace. You know, these, these, no, well, the, the interesting thing is like, do you know uh, in 1984, if you remember, they had the the the, the, the O'Brien thing was the hate the, the the one that was everybody was officially allowed to hate. So all the hate was channeled over there. At who? I think it was his name was O'Brien. It was someone in, in 1984. It was like the, the the enemy of the state. Oh, in the in the book in the 1984. Book, I thought he was talking about back the, in 1984. Exactly. I was like, who is this O'Brien? That anyway. So so yeah. the point being is that it's, it's the official figure. That it's okay to hate, and so all yeah. the hate. And in Israel, they taught us two things, which in retrospect it's a little. But the word was. Um, Never forget, mm-hmm. never forgive, um, which is kind of a tough thing to live with a little bit. Yeah, you know? especially when you're a kid. If you don't forgive, you're going to be stuck. In but I think that today where there's a lot of attempt to kind of make us forget this, you know, I think it's important that we remember what, what happened so we will never repeat this, never do this to others, and never allow others to do it to others. So. Well, and there's a... In it, which is also different. It's a very interesting concept and wonderfully put... Because for us, for most Americans, well, never forget and never forgive is something we feel. But it's more things like last time you got a mattress, you know, and then you could just, <laughs> yeah, but that's son of a, you know, can you just never, well, let it go. I don't let it go. I can't, you know, that's, that's different. Well, it's like the first time I went to Israel, that as soon as you land and walk off the plane, you think, oh, okay, it's, uh, as the, as the old saying there goes, if when you speak to God, it's not long distance. Exactly. Anyway. So I want to I want to come know, back to you. I know this is about the band, but there's also a little triptych through my relationship with Lily. We've known each other since she was 16. I was 18. We met when we were kids around here, and I remember Lotus turning me on. Like I feel like we hung out at, at her place once when you were there, and she was just saying, "There's this great comedian that's going to come over." You're gonna be so excited! You got to, you got a chance to meet him, and it has totally paid off. She was absolutely right. I have every, every time you come on there, I remember like it's ah, I, I, she was right, yeah. And it's, it's awfully nice. It things. is really fun, it, isn't it? Isn't it? I think it's one of the the most fun things about a life in this business is you meet people, just when they're people, just t- you know trying to make things happen, and then all of a sudden you start seeing them in in the culture, and. When you've had that experience where you have some personal experience with them, you just feel so, I don't know, maybe some people feel jealous. I just feel immense pride and sort of luck about like, oh, now I have a, I have one chip on that person. Like they're doing this and I, I'm on team them. <laughs> and so it's just been a joy. And look, it's fun because a lot of times you're playing jerks. And I love that. And I'm like, that well, guy. He's my. I love that guy. Well, I don't see it that way. Of course you don't, because you because you get you got to. You're no, an actor. It's, it's, you're an actor. You're playing the the beats that are there. Before no, you. I think the character at the core, every part I have is they're romantic and uh, very sexual. And now, <laughs> admittedly, they're not written that way. But <laughs> I think you can, when you listen to it on a certain, uh, uh, well, a, a frequency. Yeah, you can you can get a lot of that, but you know you actually can in movies and in television and in theater and in, in in books. You know you really can feel something about the author and the characters. That's not there. That's what makes work great. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, you read something again and again and again. And by the way, Lily's mom, Lotus, as you mentioned, God bless her, she's, well, not here. She's moved on to uh, the next assignment. Right. But uh, what a treat to know her. What a joy that mm -hmm. someone else, when you met, you, you, you kind of stand there and say, get a load of you. <laughs> Can I just say, uh, Lotus Weinstock was my mom, is my mom, and uh, she was a beautiful, brilliant comedian and singer-songwriter and also uh, engaged to Lenny Bruce the last year of his life. Um, and uh, and also uh, really a, a kind of a, like a, a leader of yes. her generation. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I didn't, I'm not even sure. First of all, leader is a good word. And I'm not, I was about to say I'm not even sure what it means anymore, but when you knew Lotus, <laughs> you knew what it, what it meant. Mm -hmm. She led... There were all sorts of old concepts. Well, she led from the front. She led from the rear. She led from within. Um, mm -hmm. It was all sorts of things. Wherever she worked around America or Canada, she got people coming to those shows the way they flock to train stations or bus stations. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound good so far, by the way. It really is. That it's, they, they're drawn. Mm -hmm. They were drawn to her. Mm -hmm. Even if they hadn't read her books, or even if they didn't know her as a comic, as a singer and composer, they were drawn to her, and they came. And those were great shows. But yes, she was a leader, and still is. We're going to have uh, Rick Overton on, a, on a, in the next segment, and I hope. And then as soon as I say it, I'm a little worried that he was, he was not going to pick up his phone. But he was on the show, I'm Dying Up Here, and when I was watching it, I kept, there was a there's a blonde... Jewish actress playing a comedian in the, that 70s scene and I I know it wasn't a, not a one to one correlation but watching that show I felt I just felt this oh they're they're Lotus is in that they they knew that and mm. they put that in there I'm curious for you as a as a as a comic peer of hers how did you meet her what was your first Lotus experience if you remember I don't I don't know the first time we have Lucy's coming here, and she's certainly you know one of the best friends in the in the same way in that in a, in a family. Lucy Webb. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't even know how you meet people. I remember meeting you for the first time in a movie theater because Lotus had been talking about you, <laughs> and I had only been living out here a few months, I guess. But that was great. You were both sitting there. I came over to say hi to Lotus, and I met you. I, so I remember that. But I have no idea. It was just, when, she was just there, and you're like, that happened. I mean, that happens. You're in a scene with people, and they're just around, and then you know all what? of a sudden... There's, uh, without sounding uh, uh, too too lyrical or, po or poetic, I really mean it when I say we met a million years ago. Mm. We met right after... Uh, God said to Adam and Eve, okay, get out. <laughs> and, and just, and that's because I'm showing it to another couple, and that was us. <laughs> but she is, so I don't know when we met, but I know we'll, uh, we'll know each other forever. And you said you moved, where did you move out from? New York. It's rare for a comic, I know. Uh, yeah. 
I think I'm the first. And when did you? When, what what time? What's the what was the time period that you hit L.A.? That was in uh, 1981. Okay, so and the, there was a general thought, a general rule, a structure of, of for comics. Then you'd work for three or four years at the comic strip and Catch a Rising Star and the Improv in New York, and then you, after that hunk of time, you'd put your sneakers and your T-shirts in a bag and get on a plane and go to L.A. Now, no one ever bothered to say, and then what? <laughs> because there's no answer to that. And then I, you know, I slept on Jerry's floor for a few weeks. Jerry Seinfeld? Yes. And, uh, and but we all did that. We'd sleep with a friend and uh, on the floor there. And uh, so that was a great start for a month or so. And you just spend all the time giggling and trying to figure out what you do. It was terrific. It was a good move. Yeah. Well, certainly. Certainly. I mean, that's a nice that's a nice floor to land on, of course. Sure, but... I mean, not at the time. At the time, that's what I'm saying. You you meet these people and you're around them and they're just like your friends. And But if you're if they're your friends in L.A. and you're, cre- and you're creative people, there's a good chance that that nobody's floor you're sleeping on this week in five or ten years, you're going to be saying... Oh, that Jerry. Yeah, that Lotus. That Larry. That Lily. Paul Reiser slept on my floor when he moved out. Good choice for him. Pick the right guy. Thank you. And he, uh, and something really, really hysterical happened with him that I can't tell you about. Okay. Okay. Now we got it. Well, uh, well, you know what? Now that just means I'm going to take this little piece out, I'm going to send it to his people and say, we need to have you on the show, Paul, to tell us the story. So he thanks won't. for... He won't? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's that bad? It's that great. <laughs> but some it would things, sound bad. Some things you got to keep for yourself. I get it. Well, yeah, so at any rate, though, but that's how you did it. You'd, you'd sleep on someone's floor, and that's how you get started. So it's sort of, sort of like, a, like handing the baton off in a relay race. Well... You slow down just a little, and someone speeds up just a little, and then you get to you exchange the baton, and, and the guy really turns it on. Yeah, and runs. I remember when I first moved out to LA, I ended up staying at the on on the couch of uh, a guy who had gone to high school, my high school, about four or five years before me, who was a screenwriter named John Roberts, and he told me he's like, you know, the the person who slept in this bed before you, she's got a new movie coming out. It's called The Princess Bride. You should check it out. Uh-huh. I was like, uh, and ever again, it's like, well, that's the only—that's my only connection to Robin Wright. But still, it's always been this thing of like, oh yeah, I—I I, I was the next. Wow. The next. That's just knowing that dollar. now. Yeah. Makes me like you. Oh, thank you. And I mean, a lot more of if well, you were that, if you had even that connection. Yeah. <laughs> Robin Wright, folks, you must know is just a great actress. She's a wonderful actor and actor. hitting her stride now and, too, boy. And she's not only great, but gorgeous and uh, not that I noticed but I'm just saying that others have said <laughs> but she's 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 uh, she's beautiful she's everything terrific yeah and that she slept on the bed if I if I had been you right then and the guy said that I think right off the you would have just jumped on the bed no kill the guy then jump on the bed <laughs> because he I want to move in right there <laughs> Oh well, you know the the Robin Wright is always greener, you know. On it's by like... the way, before we go in, I want to mention this that uh, because Moon was here just before me, Moon Zappa, and I, it was the first time we met. <clears throat> excuse me, and I told her 
And it's, well, it's true. I am was and am the biggest fan of her dad. I was a, always and still am a huge fan of Frank Zappa and everything, the storytelling, the operetta sense of his music writing, his arranging. His activism. Oh, it, it, yes, yeah. but even, forgive me, even that word has <laughs> some kind of charge to it. There was a gleam in his eye from the day he started and the day he was born. And it was one, and I wrote in, uh, I was a music major in school, and I wrote my senior honors thesis and on a harmonic, motivic, and Shankarian analysis of Frank Zappa. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay, I, yeah, I want a copy of that. <laughs> and I can, there are two things I can tell you. I really want, I wanted to come out, I wanted to get into show business and come out here and meet Frank at some point. And because I just adored him. And then to, oh, I could mention that, but, um, and it was a very, very good thesis, by the way. By the and the I, I can tell you, the entire uh, music department just said no to <laughs> the whole concept. Of, and this is for honors. Yeah. But oh, uh, he was just wonderful, and I had a chance to say that to Moon and to Frank right now. Boy, he's uh, that's someone. She said her, her brother Dweezil is thinking of writing more music and writing a book, and I've worked with him, by mm -hmm. the way. But I said. Tell him to do it because, you know, he's going to meet your dad someday, many years from tonight, mm -hmm. and uh, they'll meet again, and your dad's just going to say, so what did you need, a push? Yeah. What were you waiting for? Well, Moon is, Moon is writing a memoir now. Oh, good. Really? Yeah. I like I liked her a lot. Her daughter was here, too. But, y yeah, you meet someone and you just say, well, that Zappa gene is strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. in any case... Well, uh, well, I, I, I want to get into the musical divination here with you, Larry. Good. Um, so, uh, do you have a question for us for the Pop Oracle? Yes, I do. <laughs> what is it? Does music come from the composer or from God? Does music come from the composer or from God? And now, to engage the Pop Oracle, you get to spin the Wheel of Eight. Song number two, mm. Drunk with the Starry Void. With the Great Starry Void. Oh, sorry. Drunk with the Great Starry Void. And that is a, that's already the title. It's a perfect answer.
And that was Drunk with the Great Starry Void from Opium Moon, the answer to Larry Miller's question, does music come from the writer, the musician? Composer. The composer. Oh, sorry. Oh, there we go. Hi. The composer or from God. And... Again, before we get to talking to the band about it, I want to know what your initial, what did, how did, because we don't have words, I'm just curious what your experience was sitting with this music and thinking of that question. Mm. Well, how could you not, number one? I don't understand folks who don't understand music. And from, good Lord, these folks, and from Lily and Itai, there's, you know what, the... How do you shrug that off? How do you not just uh, invest your heart for what? Two minutes? Nine minutes? Mm -hmm. 18 minutes? Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And say, how do you like that? (laughs) Yeah. And so that's the, uh, so that's where a a question starts of, there's, uh, it always interested me that when uh, the Jews crossed the Red Sea, when the Red Sea parted and they crossed, and then the uh, the Egyptians followed after them, and uh, the Red Sea didn't part anymore. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, when they all got to the other side, all the Israelis, it says, and they sang a song to God. Now they didn't say thanks. They didn't say, "Gee, that's terrific," or shout a prayer, or "Wow, this is really something." They sang a song. Mm-hmm. And that always interested me. This was a song in the same way. And I think all great music is. So it just it interested me to, to think, does, does God just watch it and smile and say, good? Mm-hmm. Which may very well be. But I was wondering what you and what... Uh, Lily and the band thought, yeah, is, there, yeah. is there something where God just says, all right, hold still, <laughs> and just kind of zaps it in you? Or does he put it in, in you to, to make it, to make that music? Well, I'm, I'm curious about, I, I've said it several times, but this is a departure for our show. Usually we work with songwriters who are usually one person or maybe one or two people writing together, and it's a finite thing. And once it's, once it's written, it can be replicated over and over again by other people. They could learn the song, and someone else could do that song. But from talking with Lily about your process, I get the sense that your creative process is very, very different than that. It's a, obviously it's a it's a full collaboration between four virtuoso musicians. So, would one of you like to well, talk, talk? Yeah, the collaboration comes from lean into the mic oh, from the uh, improvisation because we have these themes, but then we're improvising on top of that. And so, I think the ultimate goal choice. I mean, you can some people might say God, some people whatever, but at the end of the day, you're channeling something. And do you get that? Do you all have that experience of the of channeling, of being a channel? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sometimes oh, yeah. it's harder than others, but but no, but no, it's that's like that's the trip, that's the deal. Yeah, it happens a lot when when uh, uh, I believe for uh, all of us when we are playing, we are watching as well. We are experiencing experiencing whatever is happening, and for me, 
If, if people are looking at the, so they they're set up. If you're looking at the pictures that I'm posting with this with this post, you're seeing that Lily is playing like Miles Davis with her back to the camera because she's focusing. You're all. It was very important when we set it up that you all were able to make eye contact and be focused on each other, um, which is you know just stagecraft. Most like most musicians, most bands are set up alongside each other looking out at the audience mm-hmm. but your what you're creating seems to be so much coming from each other uh, is there a lot of i'm so caught up in the music i don't know about you larry when i was listening at all of this i've been so caught up in the music and also because you are so focused on each other i can't really see exact you're not telling me watching what's going on between you but is there a communication not just with the music are you is the music like if this song you played the song tomorrow would it be a totally different song um, no. And, well, I mean, it would be different in a sense, but it, because the improvisations would be different. Right. The theme is going to be the same. The right. The vibe of it's going to be the same. Well, the, uh, I love this question, Larry, and I've, I've been thinking myself a lot about this question. And one of the things that and I think it might answer what you were asking, Andrews, too, is that I think in all of us, all creative people, probably in all people, mm-hmm. that's my, but I think all creative people, we have a seed inside of us that was given to us by, I, I personally think by whatever created us, we want to call it whatever you call it. Um, the, with that seed comes a responsibility, and that our responsibility as artists to grow this. And growing this is our work, you know, the practicing, the doing all the stuff that, but to me all of this is done so we can actually get out of the way and not really be ourselves, our little puny selves anymore, and actually uh, be a perfect channel, if you will, like I mean, said, it's like, you know, the best flute. Exactly. The flute that doesn't give any resistance to the sound, you know, it's just the, the sound comes purely through it. So, to me, one thing that makes this group so exquisite and so wonderful to be a part of is, and why I'm so happy that this record actually got recognized with a, with a Grammy, is that it's really music that was given to us it was channeled through us i mean this particular four people because it's not you can't just like you can't put another person on these drums you can't put another person on this violin it's these particular four people that somehow the combination of our souls musical souls hearts creates a space that invites forces to me bigger than us to come through us so in truth when i like my best compliment to myself in a way almost is when i actually i disappear mm-hmm. it's not me anymore really you know, and when I hear myself, kind of, I get bored. You know, but but when it comes, what's that, what makes this music different every time is we don't. It's not planned in a sense of like we got our licks and we got our. It's really how dare, how much do we dare to really be naked and smell the earth, so to All speak. Right. You know, and really be here present without preconceived notions, without pre-plans, without just we have an idea, we have a basic theme. And then we have listening and communicating. And that's and that is where the divine kind of comes in and kind of guides us, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Were we lucky? Yeah. Did you have <laughs> something? We're blessed. Yeah. You know? uh, I, I, uh, how this relates to the title, which is Drunk with a Great Starry Void, which is a Pablo Neruda quote. Um, to me, it's uh, it, that playing with music is, a, is kind of a state of being drunk with the, the awe of creation, of divinity, of whatever it is that you call it, if you call it God. Um, my mom, Lotus Feinstock, used to say God was just an acronym, generator, organizer, destroyer. Uh, and uh, and the, to be drunk with it is, 
is where this music comes from. And uh, so it's both. The it's it's we who plant the seeds. It's sort of like the way they say in certain religion, and uh, you know, to do the 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 good deeds, the mitzvot, is basically planting the seeds. You don't even have to have faith in order to be a good person necessarily. By just doing practicing, you prepare yourself to receive the the message, the the music, um, and so and that's I think. Specific, especially with this music, which isn't classical exactly, but where you have to be prepared for any scenario. I don't know what I'm going to play next, but it. But I need to be ready for it. <laughs> it's sort of like mm-hmm. practicing to jump out of an airplane. It's pra- practicing to just live a life on this planet. Oh, I yeah. don't know what's coming next, but let me navigate it and be there, be present to it. Yeah. I'm curious when when Itai was talking about that that quality of disappearing. It did make me think of, I've also acted in the, in the past, and that is, seems like that is the goal as an actor also, is to, to disappear. Not necessarily in the sense of, like, I don't want to look like myself or I don't want to be myself, but I want to stop thinking about how I look and I want to stop thinking about if I'm getting it right and I just want to be present in this moment and have something happen, have, be a present. Do you, is that for you, did that resonate for you when you, as an actor, do you also have those experiences where sometimes you feel like, oh, wait, that was the good one? That that was the good take? I was doing nothing. Well, you're never doing nothing. Okay. And all of us, for creative people, you, you're always doing something. So one of, the, one, of the th- one of the good points is get out of your own way sometimes and and let the nothing be really something. I made me think of also that uh, one of the th- one of the one of the things that is so astonishing about Meryl Streep and her work is she really becomes different human beings, and that's not only interesting, not only well, how do you like that? But it's yikes. <laughs> that's that's really creating something. I think, I think, uh, I think uh, God is smiling at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I and I, I want to just bring it back just to the. Just I'm curious for the group. Do you when you when you set it up as an either or, like, uh, is it the songwriter or is it God? And I feel like, sort of, for me when I think about that, I feel like when it's good. The answer is yes. It is the musician, and it is the divine. And I guess when it's bad, I guess it is maybe the same thing. I guess it is too. <laughs> but it's just not as fun to be. It's not as fun for the audience. <laughs> do, do you? I mean, does that does that resonate for you? Do you feel like it's an either or, or do you feel like it's a both and? Well, I mean, I I don't know if it's an either or, and I don't also know if there's good or bad in that because I, it you know it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah right. And Drunk with a Great Starry Void, in a way, says that it's both the sublime and the, the um, you know, the uh, vulgar. When I'm drunk enough on life, that yeah, it's both. It's, it'll come through me. There's a visceral kind of vulgarity. Like a, there's a there's a, a rawness to to the the being drunk with the greatness of the sublime. So it's both. It's it's both divine and uh, and earthly. 
I think so too. Isn't that what's that line? Uh, I don't. Is, is it Baudelaire? Or something? If, uh, if if uh, when you get drunk, stay drunk. On wine, on poetry, on life, on revolution. I'm, make, I'm totally paraphrasing and ruining it, but that idea of drunk on the starry, the great starry void. It's like drunk on life. It's not. It's not a deadening. It's more like a, a full enlivening of being drunk on nature, on the on existence itself, right? The, the Sufis kind of use the, the phrase "drunk." You know, the, the idea of that the wine symbolized the, really the divine intoxication, and for for the Hebrews, which is the same thing. I mean, this is wine has a special place, a special blessing. No other, everything is a different blessing, but the wine particularly has a blessing because it's connected to the possibility of of getting to the divine. Of course, it is a possibility of getting to the other side as well. Yeah. But isn't it the same with everything? No. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'd love to, I want to keep hanging out, but we have, we have some callers who are sending me emails and texting me saying, why aren't you calling me? So we should, we should get to them. Uh, they're going to be some, it's, it's really is, it's, this is a fantastic crew that you have gathered, Lily. I really, really appreciate it. And it's fantastic to share space with you now again after these many decades. It's, I guess, a one-way relationship. I, you haven't been looking at me for 20 years or so, but I have been watching you and it's just a great, it's a great time to have you back. Supposing I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am sorry for you because I live a very pathetic and lonely existence. I know. I know. <laughs> but sure, we could also all say that, but it means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. It's really great. Um, and thank you, Lily. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Larry, thank so you, much Larry. for your, for your Thanks, kindness and your deep insights. Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball. We hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. For more info about our show, visit Radio8Ball.com, where you'll find the Radio 8 blog, our Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the pop oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you give us good reviews and ratings, that really helps get the word out. Until next time, I'm your your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio Wave Show.